Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Name on the Trophy, the Manchester United podcast and YouTube show with me, Dominic Booth. I'm joined once again by Alex Wiley for this episode. I'm still not going to call him my co-host, but I am joined once again by Alex Wiley. Um, you might reach the criteria one day for co-host, Alex, but at the moment I'm sticking with special guest. Yeah, I'll, I'll take special guest. And when, when you give me the call up, you'll I'll be ready. Both hands. Oh, yeah, Just I'll trying to impress in training, ready for that uh, the big call up. <laughs> Today we're going to be discussing three very, very big names potentially on Manchester United's transfer radar in the summer and assessing um, the possibility of the moves coming to fruition and just generally the players themselves and, and what they would offer Manchester United. Um, the players are in the title, so I won't keep them from you. Victor Osserman, Harry Kane and Jude Bellingham. We're going to start with a striker situation, um, Alex, very much like we did in one of our first episodes together where we discussed how United might replace Cristiano Ronaldo, where we discussed a few potential targets. These are targets that we know United are looking at in terms of Osman and Kane. Um, they're probably the two most elite level strikers potentially on the market this summer. Um, both would cost United a significant amount of money. Let's get into the, the meat and bones of it then. What are we... What we're we thinking of these two players, obviously quite different in terms of age profile, but um, both would be hugely attractive propositions for United to sign, that's for sure. Yeah, two very good elite players. Um, two players that play significantly different. And we can get into, as you said, the meat and bones of that, but... We're effectively looking at two players who are elite. One is on the wrong side of his age curve, if I'm honest, and the other is on the right side of it. So I guess it's a question of, do we need someone for the here and now? And I think both of those players are good enough for that. And do we care if one of them starts falling off quite quickly? I imagine we do. And then the other question is, is the style and to put it bluntly, one player doesn't get on the ball at all and one player gets on the ball quite a lot. And we've got to ask ourselves, do United need a striker that gets on the ball or not? And I, I'm I'm interested to see what you think because, yeah, I've got, I've got my opinion. I've looked at um, some of the stats, but I guess I'll throw it over to you. Do we need a striker who gets on the ball? Um, my opinion on that is yes. I think that United need a striker who drops deep and gets involved in the build-up play. I think that that's what Eric Ten Hag wants from his striker. I know we were discussing this actually on the way to the West Ham game, weren't we, all the way back, I can't remember, in the car, um, about the types of striker that Ten Hag has had in his career, especially at Ajax. And the profile a lot of the time was um, sort of a big number nine in terms of Sebastian Allaire um, and Hunter La that he had at Ajax as well. I know he's had slightly more sort of false nine types like Dusan Tadic did really well there for him um, and Brian Bobby I think last season in the in the number nine role at Ajax but it became pretty clear to me when Ten Hag in pre-season and in early, early in this season put Anthony Martial to the forefront of his plans it became clear to me what kind of striker he wanted there and, and even since uh, Martial sort of drifted back into um, being unavailable because of injury and even since the Valverde signing Valverde has not played as a 
a number nine who's way up top and United have been trying to find him. He's he's dropped really, really quite deep and played as a number 10, played on the right wing at times. Um, and I think Ten Hag wants that rotation of his forwards that you get with a player who will, will drop deep. So that's why I think of these two options. Harry Kane is the is the ideal one for me. I know there's massive reservations in terms of age, but obviously when you talk about one striker who doesn't get on the ball and one striker who does of these two, Kane is the one that does. So we, we know that yeah. he's a hybrid number nine, number 10. That's sort of how we can classify him. And the role that he plays for, I think the role particularly that he plays for England with the likes of Sterling, Saka, Rashford, whoever it is, uh, out wide running beyond him. I kind of think that is the perfect template for United with obviously Rashford and the other other wingers that we have at the club. I think that would be, even for a two or three year period, given Kane's age, I think that would be a title winning level of, of uh, forward line. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting you were bringing it back to Ted Hogg's first, well, his Ajax team and the strikers he's had because... And we spoke about it before, the idea that he's had these big number nines. And when you when you think of that, you think of someone who maybe doesn't get on the ball that much, is more of a target man, someone you ping long balls up to. But I had a quick look at the numbers just to double check that that was correct. And it, it wasn't. So Haller was getting 27 passes per 90, which I think is like the top 30% roughly. Huntelaar, who we always think of as like a classic number nine, a poacher. Even he was playing 25 passes per 90, so still above average. Uh, Vegos, as you spoke about before, 24 passes. Martial, 26 passes. So it's all quite a, a tight range. But the underlying truth is all these strikers got get on the ball a fair bit. There's actually only one striker who's played under Ten Hag who didn't really get on the ball, and that was Kasper Dolberg. Kasper Dolberg only attempted 15 passes per 90, which is like the bottom 20, 30%. And Kasper Dolberg was quite quickly sold on to Nice after about two years of Ten Hag's reign. So I think we can we can safely say that whatever Ten Hag wants, whether it's a big player or a little player, he wants someone who is willing to get on the ball, full stop. I think we can... I'm happy to draw a line in the sand and say that's what he wants. Osserman is a fantastic striker one of the best strikers in world football as I think you said before his Sabre score is 84 potential 86 which is much better than the strikers we currently have the one caveat and I mentioned I had a caveat at the start he barely touches the ball he makes 14 passes per 90 which puts him in the bottom of 4% for strikers in the top 5 European leagues so in in Osman, you have an elite goal scorer. He's quick. He is good with his shot selections. He, he takes very high likelihood shots of going to the back of the net. Decent in the air, but not someone who gets on the ball. And that is that is what Harry Kane is. So I agree with you more or less. I think Dolberg might even be the better player right now. He's younger, but does he fit into the United team? Osman, you mean? Osserman, sorry, yeah. Osserman. Definitely not a better player United than <laughs> Yeah, Dolberg's fallen off quite a bit recently. But yeah, Osserman, does he fit into the United team? I'm not sure if he does. 
Well, it's yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, you can't ignore a goal record like Osimhen's, can you? Twenty-one in twenty-five in all competitions this season is the absolute figurehead of that Napoli side that's completely running away with Serie A. And there's a huge amount of talk around Osimhen at the moment. I mean, he had to address his future, I think, this week, and he said that it would be an ambition of him to his to play in the Premier League one day. He's not trying to. He's not getting distracted. He wants to concentrate on uh, what he called a beautiful season with Napoli, um, and certainly that could get even better. They're competing in the in the sharp end of the Champions League as well at the moment, as well as pretty much wrapping up Serie A um, already. So he is hot property, and someone, whether it be this summer or the summer after, someone in the Premier League, I would have thought, will land him for a significant fee, um, probably around the hundred. 150 million mark. It's Maybe. just whether it's whether that's United. I mean, I I kind of think he, he might have Chelsea written all over him because of the fee and and how much they would be willing to spend. And he's he is a guarantee of goals. And maybe that shouldn't be that shouldn't be discounted. You know, I know United aren't struggling for goals this season, even without a top recognized number nine. You know, look at what Marcus Rashford is doing, but. You add that level of goals into a side, then you t- start talking about the title, don't you? I mean, Erling Haaland hasn't necessarily fitted in perfectly at Man City, but just look at his goal numbers and look at where City are still challenging for the league and challenging for the big trophy. So, do you need a, you know, devil's advocate maybe? Do you need someone who gets on the ball and do you need someone who gets involved in the play um, if they're scoring that many goals? Well, it's interesting you bring up Haaland because. He, I would actually argue, backs up my point because Haaland is, for a striker, doing exactly what he's meant to do. He's scoring goals galore. Um, his expected goals are through the roof. His his actual goal rates through the roof. City as a team are not scoring significantly more goals this season than they were last season. And really what's happened with City is rather than the goals being spread out across the entire team, it's all being focus through Haaland and I think that makes City more predictable and also more reliant on one player's form and what it speaks to is this idea that you need players to fit into a system you know it's all well and good you've got a striker scoring loads of goals but if you as a team are not scoring any more goals then the net the net outcome is it positive I mean for City it's not that much different yeah, so if you've got someone like Osterman who's not getting on the ball and scoring a lot of goals, is that going to have a negative impact on Rashford, for example? Because it's easy to think of it as additive and you just go, yeah, well, Rashford is scoring a lot of goals. Then we get Osterman, he'll score loads of goals. Oh, we're going we're gonna to be great for the league. But the truth is, if you've got Osterman scoring loads of goals and not really bringing anyone else into play, then someone like Rashford's goal numbers could then take quite a big hit. It's complicated. Like football, that, that side of it is, is really difficult to work out. I think Harry Kane would probably have a bigger net benefit as a squad, even if his goal numbers might not be as good as someone like Osserman's were if he were to join. I mean, Kane's goal numbers aren't bad, but we need to probably say that. I don't know. That's not a secret to anyone in world football that Harry Kane scores a lot of goals. I mean, he's just broken <laughs> Tottenham's all-time record, goal score, scoring record, England's all-time goal scoring records on the way, I think. It's... Um, it's not as if Kane isn't an out-and-out goal scorer. It's just, like we say, what he offers to the side. And I think, was it last season or the season before, where he was basically the Premier League's top assister 
20 odd assists or, or something like that in, in a single season. The way that you, you linked up with Son, you can easily imagine that happening with Rashford. It's a, it's a similar kind of dynamic there with, with Rashford cutting aside, Kane dropping into those sort of half spaces and um, you know pulling his markers away for other players to to get involved in it. I think that United, what's interesting with Kane is that the one thing that everyone says about him is his age. Hmm. And that makes me feel very old because me and Harry Kane are almost exactly the same age. I'm older. I'll have yeah. Well, you're actually ancient in striking terms. <laughs> um but you have to accept that and you have to you have to say Kane will turn 30 this summer. Look at Casemiro. You know, United spent top dollar for a 30-year-old player who was the best in his position and who's made a significant impact on the side, revolutionized the side in that key area that United were crying out for. This is almost a carbon copy of that scenario, which is in a different position. Are United once again willing to take the the option that the statsmen won't like, uh, signing a player who's not necessarily in his peak years or have market value for the resale, and just say two or three years of Harry Kane, 100 million, we will take that. That's, that's, a, that's a price very much worth paying if it wins United the title. <laughs> Yeah, so with Casemiro, the downside of the Casemiro deal we haven't seen yet. So I've, I feel uncomfortable pointing to it as saying like, well, this is an example of how it's worked really well. When I I think the statsmen or, or even other uh, people working in recruitment teams, they would say the issue with the Casemiro deal is further on when he's getting to 32, 33, 34, and he's still on big money and he's quickly starting to get worse that's the negative side of that so the trade-off is do those couple of years where he first comes in and is really good are they worth it and i guess with harry kane you're, you're sort of asking the same question what i will say about harry kane is he has adapted his game very well for his body so as he's got slightly slower i know he's had those ankle issues You've seen him dropping deeper, not making so many runs off the shoulder, adapting his game to sort of play more to his strengths and what he's good at now. And there's a case to be made that maybe Harry Kane won't fall off as quickly as as other players. Look, I always want United to sign players on the younger side who are going to improve, sort of like how Liverpool have done. I want United to do that. Every now and then, you know, bringing in someone who has that experience, especially in a position that we really need, I can see some benefit to it. It's not black and white. Um, but look, yeah, Harry Kane, he scores goals, yes. But his creative numbers, you mentioned his assists last year. His expected assisted goals this year is actually higher relative to other strikers in, in the top five European leagues than his goal rate. He actually, so if you actually look at it in terms of that, you know, his progressive passes, his long passing, through balls, crosses, they're all in like the top 5%. His expected goals are in like the top 25%. They're still very good. And then the one other facet of his game that you need a bigger sample to look at, but Harry Kane's finishing is also like, it's one of the best players in the world. You won't get that from one season's worth of data. You need to look at a long, 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 like four, five, six, seven seasons. I've seen an analysis that's done that and Harry Kane is an elite finisher. So I guess to sort of round out quite a, a big point, the real trade-off is Harry Kane is an elite player 
he's adapting to his game. It's just whether in two or three years' time, are we going to be stuck with a player who has regressed significantly and is on big money and becomes a big problem? I don't know. But I, yeah. I, I am wary of signing too many old players, too many Casemiro's. Yeah, and United have been here before, but particularly with strikers, haven't they? Signing 30-odd-year-old strikers, Cavani, Ronaldo, and then, you, like you say, they quickly um, drift downhill and then it's a slight problem in terms of having them in the squad with big wages and big contracts and nobody particularly wants to buy them and there's no there's no market value for them. So I understand that with Kane and that's maybe um, we'll come into the thinking of the United recruitment team. There's also the, the major caveat in this situation in that Kane may not go anywhere, especially if Spurs get Champions League football, which they do look increasingly um, likely to do, I think. I, they're probably whole position in terms of that top four race at the moment with Newcastle potentially falling off. I know Liverpool could potentially come back into it and, and Spurs aren't wholly convincing to me under Antonio Conte. So there's, right. there is that. It, if they don't get Champions League football, there's a conversation to be had about Kane's future. He needs to go somewhere if they don't and he needs to go somewhere that will be challenging for trophies for his own career, in my, in my view. It's yeah. been... It's been too long that he's not been part of trophy winning sides for the quality that he has. I think it's a shame for him. Yeah, his legacy can't be someone who wins nothing. He's been too good for too long to have won so little. So I think, I mean, we're having these conversations before he's, before uh, Conte joined, but I, I think he needs to sort of put sentiment to one side and, and ask himself how he wants to be remembered and for me, if I was in his position, let's say I was playing for United, which is the club I, I support, let's say I was playing for United and they weren't winning anything, would I be willing to go to a better club to get some trophies under my belt? I'm probably going to annoy some people, but I would. And I think Harry Kane should as well. He can't finish his career having won zilch. Yeah, he shouldn't be worried about his Tottenham legacy either because I think that's, that is set now. He's he's yeah. done everything that he could possibly do for, for his boyhood club. So he, it should be a case of now being a little bit selfish. That move to City didn't go through um, when it really should have done for him. That obviously had a massive knock-on effect in the global striker market because Haaland then went to City the next year and Haaland might have ended up somewhere, somewhere else. Maybe Kane will go to Europe. Maybe that's the way he gets around... Um, retaining that Tottenham sort of affection, goes to somewhere, Real Madrid, by Munich, and um, sort of outside, out of mind for those Tottenham fans. Osimhen seems like just the trajectory that his career has had, that there will be a big move and there'll be he'll have less sort of stigma about about going to one of those real elite-level clubs. I'm sure he will do, and I'm sure wherever he goes, he'll, he'll score a lot of goals, like we said. Yeah, Napoli are going to finish this season winning Serie A, probably get to the latter stage of the Champions League. I think they're like third or fourth favourites to actually win it. So they could have a fantastic season and then sell Osman for a profit, even though they bought him for 70 million or something that they got him for. And they're still going to sell him probably for a profit. I mean, almost certainly for a profit. So I don't think there'll be any ill sentiment for the from the club or the fans if he if and when he moves on. He's going to go to an elite club in Europe for as you said 100 plus million and that, that's just what's going to happen the harry kane one 
I just don't. I, just, I hope for his own sake. I just don't want him to stay at Tottenham and win absolutely nothing. I just think that's so sad. <laughs> yeah, Come on, Harry, <laughs> do, the, do the decent <laughs> thing, make us all happy. Um, we'll have to see how it how it pans out. Um, the other English player that we, we want to talk about on this podcast, Alex, uh, that could be on the move. Another huge, huge transfer saga potentially developing. Huge fees involved. Jude Bellingham. This is an interesting one because United have not particularly been in the picture for Jude Bellingham until the last few weeks when I've seen more more reports about their interest um, in him. Another player who's absolute hot property around Europe at the moment. I mean, the age that he's he's still at, and uh, nineteen, yeah. and the, the stuff that he's been doing on the on the global stage at the World Cup and now Dortmund in the Champions League. Is just ridiculous, really, isn't it? I mean, this is this is a player whose whose ceiling is so high, and who will almost certainly be gracing the the biggest and best games for the next decade or more. Yeah, Jude Bellingham <laughs> is going to go to an, an elite club. It's almost more inevitable than the Osman thing we were speaking about before. I hate to be a, a downer. I just don't see it being United. I know United tried very hard to sign him free him going to Dortmund. Yeah. And they had they had him in the training ground. They had Fergie coming just to meet him. And he yeah. still went to Dortmund. And I think, to be brutally honest, that was the correct thing to do. I suspect wherever Jude Bellingham is going to go, it will be a club that are very likely to win trophies. And United aren't quite there yet. I think they... <laughs> They're going to have to stump up a lot of money and somehow convince Jude Bellingham it's the it's the right place to come to. I think it's unlikely, um, but he's a brilliant player. It seems odd to me. I've seen a lot of talk about Jude Bellingham and and Liverpool, which a couple of years ago, even one year ago, made perfect sense. You know, Liverpool have been looking for for something to add to their midfield for some time now, and. You know, Bellingham obviously is going to get linked with the move back to the Premier League. Seems that any British youngster who does well for a couple of years abroad automatically gets linked back to the Premier League. I think the British yeah. press have got this sort of like come home campaign around these <laughs> these young players. You can't stay out there for long. You've got to come back and come back <laughs> to your roots. It was like the same with Jaden Sancho. It'll be the same with um, Jamie Bino's Gittens in a couple of years, and on all these yeah. all these guys. Um, the clubs listed for Bellingham from a good source in the Athletic are Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, United, PSG, Real Madrid and City. Most of those are Premier League clubs. But I just don't quite see the Liverpool thing. I think, especially if they're not in the Champions League next season, I think the, the Klopp era is wobbling a touch. There could be some change there with the ownership and, and all those things going on. So... That's why maybe United do come into the picture, especially if their the stock is as high as it is at the moment with what Ten Hag's doing. And City, I don't see. I I, I don't see him particularly as a, as a Guardiola-type player, um, given that his sort of possession is not his, his primary purpose. What do you think about all those clubs and, and where would suit Bellingham? Well, I think, so when you're speaking about Liverpool and talking about where they're at, right now and the likelihood of them winning trophies and things. I always think it, it, you don't even need to go to that level. I think you need to just look at the finances and ask yourself what club 
will be able to stump up this sort of money. I don't think Liverpool could stump up. Maybe they could get the transfer fee at a push. The salaries involved, I think, would put quite a lot of stress on their on the on where the squad's currently at and what what key players there are currently earning. The same with Arsenal. I can't see Arsenal being able to afford that. So already you're taking off quite a few clubs off that list. And then there's like the PSGs. Yeah, I think they could. Real, I mean, even Real Madrid in, in Spain, the financial situation for Real Madrid is better than Barcelona, but it's still not fantastic. And then Real Madrid what, will what, want a marquee star every summer. Real Madrid will yeah. want him. And yeah, I wouldn't surprise me if he wants sort of. to go there. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's just, can they get the money together? Maybe they can. I don't, I don't know the, the full ins and outs. I just know that I know the financial regulations that La Liga has on Real Madrid and Barcelona. Barcelona really struggled to get, get in it. And I think even <laughs> Real Madrid were a little bit closer than, than they'd like to be. Um, in terms of style, I think you're right about City. Like, Jude Bellingham does a hell of a lot. You know, he's he's a, an elite goal scorer from midfield. He's an elite creator from midfield. He's one of the few players I've seen who is in the top 10% for progressing the ball himself and also receiving progressive passes. <laughs> he's somehow in the top percent for both. He's on both sides of the ball. He's like, he's the ultimate ball to uh, box-to-box player. He can play... He could play as an eight. He could play as a 10. He could even play as a six. I mean, his defensive work rate is pretty outstanding. The one, I'm going to say that word again, caveat that I have is his ability at looking after the ball. So his pass completions are around the 80% mark, which is not bad. It's about average. And given the trade-off of what you're getting in terms of assists and progressing the ball is, is more than worth it. But if you're a team that really wants to dominate possession, do you want that? And the one other thing I would say is he is in the bottom of 3% for miscontrols and the bottom 1% for dispossessions from a centre midfielder. And interesting. that is interesting. I think it's still worth it given how much else he gives you on the pitch and his age as well. Uh, I'm sure certain little like kinks to his game could be worked out. But Jude Bellingham is not someone who fully looks after the ball. And at City, who, yes, could afford him, is he going to fit into that sort of team? I'm not sure if he is. Is he going to fit in at United? It depends on what we want to do. Like yeah. It comes to that same question we had at the start. Do we want a centre midfielder who looks after the ball and progresses it, like a Frankie de Jong? Or do we want someone who's a bit more... I don't want to say chaotic, but a bit more like willing to try things and will occasionally lose the ball. I don't know. Like I think Ten Hag probably wants us to be more on the controlling side. I think United fans are probably like it more how it is now, where we don't fully control games from like a ball possession perspective, but we do in terms of like game management and we're fairly versatile. I yeah, don't you know. Can, you can imagine Bellingham being signed pretty much his role if he was signed for United would be that number eight role next to Casemiro with Fernandez ahead of them. Like you say, it, it doesn't bring you the most control. It, it isn't that ball progressor that we've spoken about on previous podcasts like Ericsson does when he plays there. And like you say, Frankie de Jong is a different profile, but it's certainly a, it would be a robust midfield. 
it'd be a midfield difficult to to get past and that would that would bully teams and yeah you can imagine United looking really really strong with that lineup it's just like you say Ten Hag's philosophy what Ten Hag wants from his um deep line midfield doesn't doesn't really align ideally with that profile um like it didn't with Casemiro though you know we thought that that Frankie de Jong was going to come in and be a real deep line number six who progressed the ball it ended up United got Casemiro who was a you know more of a destroying type in there so that's the that's the rub with Bellingham whether he whether it's worth United committing so much money to a player who isn't the ideal type of Ten Hag midfielder not saying that he wouldn't be really good for United because the guy's 19 he's absolutely tearing it up for for Dortmund I think he'd be great but (laughs) you know United probably going to spend money on the striker position which would take a huge chunk out of their budget they're kind of going to want a new goalkeeper as well I think whether the funds are there then available for a real high level elite midfielder as well probably depends on the takeover who who comes in and and how much they're they're willing to spend so yeah I think there's a few question marks not around Bellingham the footballer but around Bellingham to United the deal and maybe yeah. that is why people think that he will go to Liverpool or he'll go to Real Madrid maybe they are uh, more realistic options I think for what it's worth I think Arsenal might well get Declan Rice which could potentially um disturb the market a little bit he's a player that United have admired for a long time in that um defensive midfield position probably slightly off their radar now Casemiro is is in town but yeah that's the midfield market just like the striker market this summer is going to be so interesting with so many sort of moving pieces and the domino effect between clubs which which will sort of determine how much business we see yeah I mean yeah because once a big sum of money floods into the market I'm almost like remember when like Neymar signed for PSG and suddenly there was this large influx of money that was then this filled this um, spilled out from club to club to club. You'd get that with like a Declan Rice going to Arsenal, which should yeah, it would um the Andy Carroll and Fernando Torres effect, I think it's called as well. <laughs> yeah, not such a not not quite as glamorous example of that, but yeah, it's going to be an interesting summer and with United. <sighs> A lot of it does depend on the takeover because right now, I don't even know what the Glazers are fully up to. I'm not sure if they actually want a sale, if they just want to sell some of their shares but not a controlling stake. I I don't know. It's a it's a difficult one because with Avram Glazer was actually at the Cup final, which I thought was a little strange given they're trying to push a sale through, and you hear you hear murmurings that they don't actually want to fully sell the club a lot of it is going to come down to if they sell and who they sell to because if they sell to the Qataris and let's just be honest it's the Qatari state that wants to buy the club let's just get it out there I mean I'm sure you're going to say that's um yeah that's 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 according to reports at the moment according or, to uh, reports yeah. according to reports but yeah I think that's the Qatari state wanting to buy United that's going to be a, a hell of a lot of money if Ineos uh end up getting the deal it won't be quite as much money, but I, I think they'll still want to put quite a lot in, in in their their first window in charge. So yeah, it, a lot of it comes down to how much money are we actually gonna have. I don't yeah, know. I, I've no I idea. I did en- I did enjoy Harry Maguire completely blanking Avram Glazer at the uh, the trophy lift after the Carabao Cup win. That was uh, 
possibly the best thing he's done in the United shirt, to be honest. Do you think um, that was intentional? I don't know. I don't know. I did see Ten Hag later on uh, did hug um, did hug Abraham Glazer, didn't they? After or Joel Glazer, he was, wasn't it? Um, after the after the win, and he was there with Fergie and and the rest of them. So it's it's one of those with the, with the takeover. That I think that they are seeing that United are doing well and can potentially drive up the the market price that they could ask for. You know, United are probably in a sort of five six year high, which can only be good for the Glazers. So maybe that is making them change their mind. Maybe yeah. or maybe it's just a little bit of negotiation and gamesmanship within that within the markets. And yeah, I know United fans all want a sale and they've been very vocal in the criticism of the Glazers and even singing it after the the, the Carabao Cup was basically sealed at Wembley, singing the Glazers out song was quite um poignant, I think. Um, or potentially potentially have an effect and the sale will happen. It it'll make the world a difference when it comes to the transfer market, like you say, Alex. That's that's the key difference. If the Glazers are still around in the summer and there's still some purse strings that are being kept tight, then United fans will feel Ten Hag isn't getting the backing that he's completely deserved. Yeah. My one it's 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 a bit of a catch twenty two because the better United do, the more I'm concerned that the Glazers will be looking at it and thinking well, if we hold out like a couple of years, this could be like a title-winning side and then the club will sell for even more money. It's like, why can't we have nice things? Why can't United just be good and the Glazers sell? It's it's so frustrating. Because yeah, United be are good stressful. in spite of the Glazers right now. Like it's, They're almost like working against the tide in, for United to still be good despite all the mismanagement, lack of funds, and, and so on and so forth. Um the very fact we're talking about the this the caliber of players that we've we've spoken about on this podcast shows United's progress under Ten Hag. A couple of years ago, United were not in the market for for this level of player. They just were that slight level below in terms of the players that they could attract in the transfer market. So that that alone is a positive sign, and obviously, it'd be even more positive if one of these three that we've spoken about does go to United, which I think. I think one might of the three. I think I do think that it might be Osserman, despite what we've all said. I think he might be the, the most likely of the three to to go to United, depending on the Kane situation, just to wrap up these three players. I don't think United will get Bellingham, however good he would be. Kane could happen, but I think there's a there's a, a lot of moving parts and questions to that. As we said before, Osserman will be on the move. United will want an elite striker. That that alone makes it the most likely for me. Yeah, I mean, I'm inclined to agree. I think Harry Kane will probably stay at Tottenham for at least another year. You I... sound so sad about that. You, it's like your own personal campaign to get him well, out of there. No, it's it's more as an England fan, really. You know, Harry Kane is almost our talisman, and it seems so wrong that he's won so little. It's yeah. it's borderline perverse. It doesn't make any sense. I, I, I that do penalty I, over the bar against France, and we might have won the World Cup. No, right? Yeah, he he was responsible for the worst day of of last year, but I'll forgive him for that because we've had a lot of good days. But yeah, that that's why I, I probably I'm a little bit emotionally invested in it. I mean, the the one thing to say is it's not necessarily the case that he'll come to United and win trophies. Like if if I was Harry Kane, I'd maybe think about joining like a Real Madrid or a even City, dare I say it, because he's probably more likely to actually win something. 
But yeah, I, I, I can see him staying at Tottenham. I think Bellingham won't come to United because there would be more appealing clubs to him. And I think Osserman is the most likely. And even though I said I don't see quite how he fits, I'd still be pretty happy because he's an elite striker who is young and he should be able to adapt his game somewhat to, to the demands of the team. So yeah, I think Osman is the most likely. I agree with you there. And if it does happen, then I'm I'm pretty interested to see how that would work, especially with Rashford. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Very interesting indeed. Uh, that pretty much wraps up today's podcast there. We hope you've enjoyed this one. It's certainly been a, a fun one to talk about. We always enjoy talking about transfers on on name on the trophy and yeah, it usually gets gets the most listens and clicks, as is the as is the way with transfer news and football. Yep. Yep. Gets us to those TikTok views. Exactly, exactly. Well, you can um keep following Alex and Saber Sports on TikTok, Saber underscore sports on all the socials. Um, and you can follow name on the trophy as well. And please leave us a like and a subscribe on this podcast or on YouTube. I know some of you like to watch us um warts and all on the on the video format. So thanks for that. Um Alex, we'll be back very soon. Thanks for thanks for joining me once more. Yeah, no problem. Um, just one more thing before before you shut us down. Um, please try the app. There's a link to it on all my social media platforms. And there will be a fan version coming out shortly, which will be significantly cheaper than the pro version. I'm actually, I'm actually the price on the uh, pro version is probably putting a few people off. So please try the fan app when it comes out. Thank you. You can get that level of detail. Just the, just We just scratched the surface off on the pod. You can really yeah. get into the uh, into the teeth of it. You can find uh, the next up and coming players before anybody else knows about them, which is quite a nice feeling. Good stuff, good stuff. Cool. We'll wrap it up there. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back again very, very soon on Name on the Trophy. <laughs>